0: Good morning, church. How are we today? Awesome. We got that woo down, don't we? All right. Well, welcome, everyone. I'm Jeff, and I'm one of our pastors on our staff. And uh, we are now in our last week of a series that we've been calling uh, The Elephant in the Room. <clears throat> what we've done is we have looked at some of the conversations that nobody really wants to touch or they're kind of awkward to have a conversation about, and we've talked about those things Today. We're going to do just that. Um, Before I do that, um, today, now is probably a good time for you to tell somebody, one, that you're at my church, check in, check in on your social, however you guys do that, and text somebody and say, get here, all right? Get here for the next service. You're going to want to do that now so they'll have time, all right? Uh, We're going to have fun, and uh, let me just say that – my truck is faster than Julio's truck. And so if you were here earlier in that welcome, that's where that came from. When, uh, when you have the microphone. <clears throat> uh, and so here's what I want to say. Uh, you got a card uh, on your seat. Now Easter's like, feels like a long ways away, doesn't it? Because it feels like we're supposed to still be in winter, although it's like 70 and 80 degrees, but Easter's on its way. And as you know, around here at our church, we don't play games with Easter. I mean, we like literally have draft day games about Easter. But we, we get fired up and serious about Easter around here because we actually believe that Jesus did rise from the grave. So we get fired. I mean, we, we really go all in. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing draft days for the next two weeks just to get people in line and on board. We got a series, a series that we're calling Major League Marriage, that's, that we're going to promote on Easter. In fact, every volunteer, every volunteer will get an awesome cool t-shirt that we're going to use to market that series on Easter just to get people to come back. Because we know, I mean traditionally we've, we've had crowds and upwards of 2,000 people show up on Easter. We've had years that we've had, had 200 plus people bow the knee and make Jesus leader and forgiver of their life. And we just know that people are going to show up and we're going to do our very best job as we do every year, making you the guarantee if you bring a friend and you invite someone that you think is far from God, we will do our very best to connect with them. So we want you to use these cards and to be, be reminded that this is going to be the best Easter yet. Okay? Have I said that before? I lied then. This will be the greatest Easter we've ever had, all right? Mark, mark my words down on that one, all right? All right. Today, you are going to have a conversation with me. It'll be kind of one-sided because uh, I've got the mic. But I enter into this conversation humbly because as in all of any weeks that we communicate and teach, uh, I'm not the final say with anything that I, that I, that I say to you. Uh, the final say is God's word, and so in, in today's conversation, I'm very humbled by this conversation because it's so much larger than me, so much larger than us. I mean, it's, it's huge, and today's conversation is one of those conversations that just makes you a little bit queasy in your stomach because there is a reality in this conversation that is that is larger and happening more than we ever Realize. So this morning we're going to talk about something called hell, H-E-L-L. Can everybody say that with me? You just cursed in church, okay? <laughs> now we're going to have a serious conversation around this because in our society today, uh, the idea of heaven, the idea of hell have got, has gotten further and further and further from the minds of reality uh, from the average person out there. When it comes to America today, uh, the stats are this. Seventy-four percent of Americans believe in heaven, which I think is probably just kind of one of those like, yeah, I believe in heaven, but do you really act like, do you really look like, do you really really believe in that? I'd say the stats are much lower. And four out of ten, 40 percent of people say they believe in hell. And I would say that that stat is way too high because just being honest, if I'm completely honest, I don't act like I don't really live like I believe in hell. I really don't. Uh, it's kinda like it's kind of like the other day my son, my son uh, just boo hooed crying because we have been be, been saying some things around the house like JD, if you keep eating that much sugar, you're gonna have cancer before the before you're ten. And my daughter Allie goes, Dad, he's eleven. And, and I'm like, I, I, okay, don't judge me, okay? <laughs> I know that's not great parenting advice, but we're like, son, you got to back off on the sugar, bro. Cancer loves sugar, and sugar loves cancer, and they go hand in hand. And we got we to gotta eat better, we got to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I remember probably like two years ago, J.D. just out of nowhere, he's like, mom, I'm going to die of cancer. I'm going to have cancer. And, um, you know, when you're young, when all of a sudden you come face to face with the reality, it just, it pricks your heart. Like, JD, J.D. literally thought, I'm going to die of cancer. I got cancer. I'm going to die. And his his world was just rocked. We're like, J.D., you're fine. And then now, a year or so later, he's like, man, I'm over it. I'm good, right? Sort of the same idea with this concept called hell. A lot of us, we've heard about it. Maybe you grew up in the south, and you kind of grew up going to church, or maybe you've never had any church, but, but somebody said the word hell, and someone said it's a bad place. And either you believe it or you don't believe it, but I think a lot of us kind of live in between those lines, and we just don't really factor in that it's a real reality. So I want to address this topic today and ask some some big questions. I will make: is it a literal place? Literally, is it a literal place? Is it just a figmentation of our imagination? Or is it some place that's really reserved for some people, and are people really going to go there? Is it like this grave injustice or like is it uh just some major you know just ultimate justice is god going to send people there because he's really a loving god or is god just an unloving god uh, and i think the fact is uh some people just think this kind of this is kind of like a divine overreaction reaction to sin right i mean if like you're god you're all loving how could you like decide that there's this, like, banishment to people who sin or make mistakes, and that's where they would go forever. And so I think this is something we ought to look at today. And I really want us to look at this from the lens of what does the Bible say about this thing called hell? And I'd like for us to walk away with either a yes, I believe, or no, I don't, and for us to really evaluate this and say how if I believed, in this place called hell, if I really believe that, what would my life look like? Um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a girl who was about to be married. I mean, like on the eve of getting married, and she's kind of stressed out. She's kind of nervous. And all of a sudden, she tells her mom, well, her mom didn't know this. She's like, Mom, my future husband, he does not believe in heaven, and he does not believe in hell. What am I going to do? And Mom said, hey, we've got this covered. I mean, you and I together, we can totally solve this. You help convince him that heaven is for real. And I'll help convince him that hell's for real. Okay? So, which really doesn't lead me to my next question, but I'm going to say that this leads me to my next question. Why does hell exist? Um, Why does hell exist? Have you ever thought about it? Like, really, why does hell exist? Uh, in your notes today, I'm going to give you a couple things. Jot these down. Number one, hell exists for God to righteously deal with Satan. That's the very first thing. We've got to know that. Uh, hell exists for God to righteously, why, why t- righteously? Because God God, in our, in, uh, in our ability to estimate and understand God, I think it's really, really hard for us to even grasp how holy God is, how perfect God is, how God is, God is right. And uh, apart from Christ, apart from God, we can never be right. So here's what's amazing about God. God is right, and he also makes a way for people to be right Uh, And so he literally, he exists and uses hell to help deal with Satan in his very righteous way. So God uses hell to deal with Satan. Uh, Now, a lot of us, we kind of view Satan as sort of like the ruler of hell. Like he got banished there because he's bad. He's the, the prince of all sin. And guided a lot of people, mis- uh, you know, misled a lot of people over the years uh, to where they were sinful. And he's the guy there in hell. And he's like, he's, he's, he's calling out marching orders, right? A lot of us think he's down there. And he's like, all right, you're the sinners that did this type of sin. And you're going to go over here. And he's categorizing people. And he's kind of like making stuff happen down there. No, no, no. He's not large and in charge and in hell. Uh, he's in hell, but he's not large and in charge. He's not a ruler. He's got no authority in hell, but that's where God has banished him to hell. Uh, in Matthew 25, I'm going to give you some scripture today, just allow you to sink your teeth in this and say, I believe God's word or I don't believe God's word. So here's, here's what Matthew says. Matthew's gospel says this: uh, that it's said here, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So Jesus, God, prepared a place called hell, and he banished and will ultimately banish our enemy, the devil, to hell for forever. And he has no authority once he's in hell with doing anything other than being in hell and suffering the consequences of hell. The second thing is this. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Again, it's hard for us to grasp God's holiness. It's hard for us to grasp that God, uh, God will allow people to go there who have rejected him. But that's when we just can't wrap our minds around really who God is. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9 says this, he will, he will punish those who do not know God. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It says they will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the, the, the majesty of his power. So what we see is that not only will people be in hell and suffer the consequences of hell, but they will be shut out from the rest of eternity. Like there will be another aspect in the in eternity, it's called heaven. But they will be shut out from anything else, uh, almost like as if a criminal gets put in solitary confinement. One of the worst things you can do to a criminal is to put him in a private, solitary, confined space. And what we learn from Scripture is there will be this everlasting punishment shut out from the presence both of people and separated forever from God. Um, an example of this is, is in Scripture. A guy literally is recorded in the Bible uh, of his experience in hell. So we have, an, we have, a, we have a, a description of somebody that God used penned in the Bible about his experience in hell. Uh, Luke 16 records this experience. It says, There was a rich man who is dressed in purple uh, and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, this is not just a guy who had money. This guy was, like, mega rich. I mean, like, like beyond just average, uh, you know, upper end of society, this guy was, like, crazy, 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 crazy wealthy. Uh, So much so that it says that he dressed in purple, we know back then that purple was like this very, very, very expensive dye. They have to get this dye to, to you know, to make a, an outfit, clothing, a purple. Uh, so Scripture describes this guy as having that type of clothing. Uh, and it was fine linen. And he dressed up and dressed the very best every day of his life. This guy was so wealthy that every day of his life uh, he dressed well and ate well. Um, in fact, I've, I've, I've read and heard that, in, that one of this guy's outfits would have fed a person for an entire year. And this guy had, like, an outfit for every day of the week and, and probably threw away uh, clothes that he'd worn once. This guy was, I mean, the was trying to give us a picture. This guy was, like, Ooh, really wealthy, right? Really, really wealthy. And it said, at his gate, another guy involved in this story, at his gate was laid... A beggar named Lazarus. So here's a guy, he's Lazarus. It says that they was, he was laid at his gate. So I don't imagine this guy got around much. Someone had, a, had to put him there. So apparently this rich guy allowed there to be a beggar at his gate. Give him a nice applause for that, right? Thank you for letting this, this beggar to be outside your gate. Um, um, and so you've got two guys. You've got a rich guy and you've got a poor guy. Poor beggar. And it says that this guy Lazarus was covered with, sto- with sores and longing to eat. This guy was hungry. He's longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. And it says, uh, I just think this is kind of wild that Scripture records this, that even the dogs came and licked his store, his sores, um, which I, I think what that portrays there is that it would ease his pain when the dogs would lick his wounds. It would ease the pain of his suffering. Uh, proving my theology that dogs are from God and cats are from the devil. Um, <clears throat> oh, I thought I didn't say that out loud. Um, so so here at his gate was Lazarus. Uh, and what was traditional then would be that when the people who would have dinner with the rich man and himself, um, they would take a piece of bread and they would wipe off any of the, the, the crumbs from, that were stuck on their hands from the food, any any dirtiness, anything that were stuck from the food, they'd wipe it off. And then they would take the scraps and crumbs from the table and they would either push it off on the floor or they'd push it off on another plate or platter. And they would get all these crumbs and all this food and they would take it out and they would toss it and throw it to the dogs and the man that was at the gate. And so... Uh, I do not believe this guy was a Christ follower. I don't believe that this rich man was a Christ follower because even even though there was a huge need like right there outside of his gate, we don't see any mention in Scripture that he did anything to help. So I don't think this guy was like following Jesus, right? I don't think this guy had God moving and working in his heart because he did nothing ultimately for the guy who was very close in proximity to where he lived in life. And so what happened to these two men when they died? Uh, Luke records the remainder of this story in, in uh, chapter 16, 22. It says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels, angels carried him to Abraham's side. So Abraham's in heaven, and the beggar dies, and he goes to heaven. It says, The rich man also died and was buried, and we find out that he's in hell. So in hell, where he was In torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. What I'm not reading to you this morning if you read the whole story. uh, There's this massive chasm that separates, you know, Abraham and Lazarus Lazarus who are in heaven and the rich man who's now, uh, he's in hell. I mean, he's, he's there to be there. And so the rich man... God allows him in that moment, or i don 't know how long this lasted, but he allowed him to see where the beggar who was uh, outside his gate he God allowed him to see where he was, he was next to Abraham in heaven so here's what's recorded, so he called to him, father Abraham, and listen listen to the listen to like this guy's like reality, who's in hell like I, I know there's no way we can literally like walk away with the emotion of his emotion but try to try to just think about this emotion as he says this he calls out to him father abraham have pity on me and send lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and come and just cool my tongue because i am what i am in agony agony in this fire. Obviously, there is, there's, there is there's scientifically no way we could put ourselves in that emotion. Right? There's no way. There's no way we could subject ourselves willingly to even uh, our own punishment. Um, to feel and to hurt like this guy is hurting. So what we see and what we understand is, in your notes, hell... Is a real place of unspeakable suffering. Hell's a real place of unspeakable suffering. Um, let me give you a little more insight. Matthew's gospel, again in verse uh, or chapter five twenty nine, says, <clears throat> explaining how bad hell is. If your right eye uh, causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Why? For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown in hell. Now, it's easy to read through that quickly and kind of like miss <laughs> what's being said there. Like literally what Scripture says, it's 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 it would be better for you um, to like literally like, you know, like stick your finger in your eye and just grab that puppy and pull it out than it would be to miss the opportunity, miss the knowledge of how bad hell is and actually have to go there. And Scripture goes on to say, like, literally, like, saw your arm off. Cut it off. I mean, do whatever it takes so that you would not have to be in hell, thrown in hell. Why? Um, Because God is a righteous God and God set this up um, ultimately to recognize, I love you, and I've got a better option for you. All right, so Revelation goes on to say, in verse 14, it says uh, that the enemy will drink of the wine of God's fury, which will be poured out. Out in full strength into the cup of his wrath, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast, speaking of the devil, our enemy, and his image for anyone who receives the mark of his name. So, I mean, this is kind of freaky, right? I mean, I'm reading this, I'm like, yow. This is just, just not, not stuff we talk about. I mean, I, I, I want to get to the good stuff. Let's, let's talk about heaven for a while, right? I mean, in, in, in our own church, we're trying to always point you to, like, what God has done, like, the good stuff. Like, we applaud and that's good. But we, we can never forget the reality of this. Because what's happening in our world, what's happening in our society, and I believe what's happening probably in most of us, and this is me included, most of us, because we've lived one more day, because maybe I don't have cancer in this moment. I mean, it's coming, right? I mean, because, because that I'm getting older and that I'm on this earth one more day and Jesus has not come back, it's easy for us to all of a sudden get numb. The, the, the times that I kind of would just skip and read cool parts of the Bible and skip these parts of the Bible, it allows me to forget. I, I can get intoxicated with other things and forget this, this unimaginable, terrible reality that exists for people who reject God, exists for the one who helped people reject God. Scripture describes hell is like the worst unimaginable place that we could try to conjure up in our in our brains. S- scripture calls it a fiery furnace, a place of burning sulfur, a place where smoke and torment rises forever. Just imagine that. It's burning in smoke, in torment. Like people's bodies smoking up forever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't cease. It doesn't stop. You can't get relief from it. You can't step out for a moment. Time out. Let me check out a reality. No, no. Just, it's, it goes on and on and on and on What Scripture says. Alone. Alone. You can cry out. You can scream. You can say, get me out. You can say, make it stop. But that goes on day after day after day after day. All separated from God. For all of eternity. And Scripture says it will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. It's a very real place. And so Lazarus is in heaven. The rich guy, he's in hell. And and at some point he realizes that he's he's here to stay. Like he's in it. He's in it. I'm here. And in Luke 16, it records the rest of this story. It says, this is, what his, this is what his words are once he realizes I'm here. It says, then I beg you, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my house. He's beyond like, give me, give me some freedom from my, my, my suffering, my pain. Give me freedom from, you know, how bad I, I am hurting right now. He switches gears. He says, then I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house. Now, he's not thinking about himself any longer. He's thinking, I don't want anybody else here. This sucks. This is, this is beyond communicating about. Send somebody to my father's house, for I have five brothers. And let him warn, warn them that they will not also come to this place of torment. So we believe the rich man believed in hell, right? Um, and so that's how it would look if somebody went to hell. That's what we see in Scripture. So I want to show you real quickly. This is what we learn about from the guy in hell, all right? Uh, four things real quick. In your notes, you've got this. The rich man was fully conscious. He wasn't unconscious, he wasn't in a kind of out there la la land place. He was fully conscious. His brain was working. Everything was functioning. He couldn't sleep it off. Couldn't couldn't find a way to to you know intoxicate himself. I mean, sometimes we think yeah, I'll go to hell, I'll got get some beer with my buddies, and we'll hang out and have a good time down there. We'll 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 throw a party, we'll pull all the, the bad people together and we'll make this work. No. This guy is fully conscious, he's fully awake, and he did not die. second thing is this. His eternal destiny was irrevocably irrevocably fixed. There's nothing he could do to change his future at that point. He's there to stay. We see that in Scripture. Number three, he knew... What he was experiencing was just. Now I'm I, I'm I'm putting my thoughts here. Now this is my thoughts, but from what I read about his responses, he's he's he he complained about the pain. Right? He talked about his suffering. He cried out for help, but not once did he ever say, "Hey, I should not be here." I I I you know he's not crying out saying someone did him wrong. He's he I believe. He knew what he was experiencing was just. Um, and the fourth thing is, and I think this is powerful for us to hear. It's powerful for me to hear. Uh, he pleaded for someone to help his loved ones know Jesus. I mean, he's in, he's in such a bad place. In that moment, recorded in Scripture, his mind goes to the people he loves the most, and he begs that somebody would go to dad's house, so dad and his brothers would not show up where he's at. And so here's here's my question this morning. I, I, and I'm just I'm having a hard time even talking about this today. <clears throat> I didn't wake up this morning going, "I get to talk to the church about hell today." I didn't. I didn't. I mean, my my hands. I'm like sweating like crazy right now. Because I, I don't I don't know how to commute communicate this to our church other than saying I I, I want our church to be the kind of place where we make a decision that we believe God's word we go all in for them. Why? Because this is a reality. And I don't want my kids, and I don't want your kids, and I don't want our families, and I don't want anybody in our city to miss knowing that there's a God who loves us and said, yeah, I'm a righteous God. I'm holy. I'm perfect. But all the much that I'm perfect and I'm right, I'm also the one who will make you right with me by sending my son Jesus. And so although a terrible bad place, and I can't totally grasp my mind, my, my brains around that, but I can grasp my brain around the fact that he sent Jesus, his, his greatest treasured sacrifice to step in and stand in our place to say, yeah, we're sinful, <coughs> and God, God despises sin, and it breaks his heart when people reject him. But he also makes a payment in a way for us to receive God's love, to receive God, God's grace, and to receive, like, heaven. I'll never forget um, my very first funeral. I was scared to death. And, and not so much that it was their funeral, but because... <clears throat> I knew the lady in our church in Atlanta, um, showed up every week. She was quiet, uh, didn't talk to hardly anybody. She, she zipped in and zipped out until one day I'm, I'm trying to just get to know, like, who is this lady? And she tells me, yeah, I'm basically spiritually single. <clears throat> I'm married, but my man is, will have nothing to do with God. This goes on for like two years. She shows up, sits by herself, quiet, um, blonde hair, probably 40 years old. And then one day I get a call, and it's her, and she's, she's crying her eyes out. And she says, you're my pastor. I need you to come do the funeral, my very first funeral. And she says, he's not, he was not a believer. And I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get there, and she's going to look me in my eyes, and she's going to ask me, where is he? And I know scripture. I know what Bible, the Bible says. If you don't bow the knee, if you don't believe. And I, and I, and I knew he, I knew, I knew for years she pleaded with him, she begged him, she tried to model Jesus. She wasn't, she wasn't like trying to like come to church with me, being a jerk and being ugly and you know kind of. She just prayed and lovingly modeled Jesus, as this guy. But he rejected God. He, reje- I mean, he just, he just did. I wish he hadn't. But I remember being scared to death going to that funeral. It's my responsibility to do this well. <clears throat> and so I called my pastor. Some of you guys remember Kirk Nary, who's come here and spoke before. I called Kirk, and I said, Kirk, I don't know what to say. What do you say? I don't want to be a jerk. I mean, if, if what's done's done, I don't know how to, like, I don't want to break her heart, although it's already broken, because she knows. She knows we've talked about this. And I remember Kirk giving me advice. He said, um. You should just say, and here's what I say in funerals. He said, when I get in that situation, I say, if he were here now, like speaking to her husband, if he were here now, here's what he would say. He would say, I kind of know, well, I don't kind of, but I know the beginning from the end. Born, lived on this earth, and if he could speak now, he would say, you need to be in heaven. You need to, need to know Jesus, Right? I think he would—he would do exactly—and I never really kind of put this together until this this week. I was preparing this. He'd, he'd do exactly what Lazarus did, or I'm sorry, the rich man. If God gave somebody to cry out from the grave, if God gave somebody, our loved ones, a moment to cry out from from hell, they would say, "You don't want what I—you don't want where, I, where I'm at. You don't want what I got." Jesus is the answer. And so my hope is this. My hope is that we would wake up to a reality that is painful to think about, but reminded, be reminded of a reality, and, and this is in your notes, that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Nobody. Nobody. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. How do we know this? Also in Scripture is 2 Peter 3 9. And this is all through the pages of Scripture. God's love, God's pursuit of mankind, not to show us injustice, but to, to, to show us His grace, to show us His love. And this is proof of it. 2 Peter 3 9 says this The Lord is patient. That's why He's not back yet. That's why He's not come back for us. Because if God came back today, he would, he would all of a sudden have to decide that all sinning would cease and all opportunity for people to be wooed to him by his grace, by his love, by his word, by his message, by the beauty of creation, by people's stories of, of finding their way back to God. If he decided that today is the last day and his patience had an end to it, that'd be it for the opportunities. So Scripture says that the Lord is patient with you. He's patient with me. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So hell is real. Hell's terrible. God doesn't want anybody to go there. But I would say to us I, I imagine there's a few different types of listeners here this morning some of you would say i'm not a christian i need jesus i would say heck yeah yeah because he loves you and there's a terrible penalty if you miss knowing god's love and grace and i would say for the rest of us maybe if you were a follower of christ this this oughta this oughta do this and i, and I forgot something i want to show you in my notes Let me let me close with this quick person's story. Guy named Charles Peace. He was a criminal. He was a criminal in the 1800s in England. He was about to be hung, and there was a chaplain chaplain who showed up doing his duty. He was going to like you know read him his rights and talk to him about you know God, salvation, Jesus. I'm assuming. And this guy, Charles Peace, the convicted criminal about to hang, kind of out of left field, pauses this guy and says, do you really believe this? And like repeats this, do you seriously believe what you're saying? And this is what he says. He says, sir, I do not share your faith. But if I did, if I believe what you say you believed, then although England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and breadth of it on hand and knee and think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. See, church, we exist. We're on this planet, which is not our, which is not our home. This is not our ultimate home, but we're on this planet. If God's allowing us to breathe, it's for us to recognize and move closer to the fact that he loves us and the fact that he doesn't want anyone, nobody, to go to hell, but to ultimately have have him as a father, as a friend, as a forgiver. So church, what do you do with this information? What do you do with it? I think it ought to shake us up. It ought to fire us up. We ought to be white hot on mission. And that is to help every man, woman, and child know Jesus. I mean, if I were the enemy and I wanted to, to, to mess up what God was doing, I would make everybody numb. I would, I would, I would, I would cause them to get sidetracked. I would cause them to kind of maybe ignore some of these facts, maybe get caught up with the busyness of life. And I, I would I would keep people from, from, from a healthy fear of God and from a healthy fear of there's a place we don't want to go. And I and I and I would and I would also make people so numb that they would say, you know what? Why do I want to share? My faith. Why would I even want to share what God's done in my life? That's what I would do if I was Satan. The fact is, he's done that. He's done that. How do we know? 74% of Americans believe in hell. I think that's way too high. 40% of people believe heaven. Uh, 40% believe in hell. Here's a stat. This is kind of maybe where America's at with do we really believe. Did you know that 3% of Americans actually give to God, kingdom causes? 97% of Americans are not charitable for the things that God's heart breaks for. So for me, this is is just Jeff. I want to pastor a church that we say, you know what? I'm in it to win it. I'm all in. Because I don't want any, I don't want a man that I know, a woman that I know, or a child that I know, to miss knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, this is a sobering, re- sobering reality today. God, you know my heart's not to just make this a downer. But God's so much bigger than me just not wanting an emotion of something that might sound negative for being a downer, God. I, I, I beg that, that you would redeem our hearts and redeem this world and allow us to be on fire for you and to be like that guy who said it's worth to crawl my hands and knees over glass over the entire city so no one would, 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 would find that type of fate separated from you. So, Lord, I pray for every person in this room. God, would you, for the men and women maybe here today, that would say, I'm not a Christ follower, I'm not a Christian, but I believe God does love me, and I believe he's made a way for me to be connected, to miss hell, to have heaven, and to be secure in his love and his grace for me. And I would just simply say, if that's you this morning, Scripture, scripture smiles there's a party in heaven when people bow the knee and say yes to Jesus. And I believe that there's some of you here today that God would say, the reason you're here today is not an accident. I got you here. And I want you to say yes to me. I want you to bow the knee. I want you to just say, Jesus, I want you to be the leader and forgiver of my life. I don't know everything about you, but I know that you've been you've been." You've been pursuing me. I've been running from you. But I know you want me. And I know you want me on your team. And I know you want me to find forgiveness in you. So, God, today, forgive me, save me, and I'm going to follow you today for the rest of my life. And, God, I pray for the rest of us that we we would come unglued from our apathy. We'd come unglued from normalcy. We'd come unglued from the fact that we can get excited about so many other things and miss the thrill, miss the thrill of knowing that my friend knows Jesus and will be in heaven, and heaven will be more crowded because of my story. God, use us, use our faults, use our fears, use our hurts. Leverage those for somebody else's forever. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Our guys are going to come. We're going to close with an offering. Let's, let's sing this up this morning. Let's fire this up. Let's say thank you. Let's thank, let's thank God that he's made a way for us. Amen.